Our first scripture this morning is from 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 13, page 813 in the NIV Bibles. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part that then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of this, these is love. Okay, to our second reading this morning, Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, on page 828. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. So I was sitting on the exercise bike again this week and I had a slightly different cross-cultural experience. Last week, my cross-cultural experience, you might remember, was listening to modern pop songs and feeling quite out of touch. 
Well, this week I was listening to a playlist called Throwback Thursday and a song from 1979 came on called Escape. Does anyone know this song? Hands up if you do. What if I called it the Pina Colada song? Hands up now? Yes, and a groan. That's That's what I felt too. If you like pina coladas and getting caught in the rain. Now, I thought the pop song that I talked about last week was messed up. But my goodness, what's with this song? Do you know, it's not actually about pina coladas. It's about a guy who's, who's bored with his current partner. So he's reading the classifieds of the paper. And he comes across an ad that says, if you like pina coladas and all this other stuff, then you should answer my ad. To me, it basically sounds like Tinder for the 70s. And then in his reply to the ad, he says, meet me at some bar called O'Malley's. And then it turns out that the person who'd written the ad was his partner who he was bored with. This is all a bit crazy at this point as I'm there pedaling away furiously on the bike. But then get this, they both have a good laugh about trying to cheat on each other. They're like, I didn't know you liked pina coladas and this sort of stuff. And then it seems they live happily ever after. Now, which generation was responsible for this song? If you were 15 to 25 in 1979, put your hand up. Come on. Okay, everybody else take notice of that. I know this is supposed to be a sermon today on loving God's people, but can I just say, what is wrong with you people? This song, because of you, was on number one on the charts in two decades. 1970 and 1980, one of the few songs to ever do that. I thought modern pop songs were a bit messed up, but this song, it's seriously messed up. And again, as I was there listening to this song, I couldn't help thinking how easy it is for us as a world to get confused about love, about what real love is. Now, I know this song's about romantic love or unromantic love, as the case may be, and of course, we're not particularly talking about romantic love. We're, we're talking about our, our vision and our mission statement. We're talking about loving God, loving God's people, and loving the Northeast. But actually, all love at its heart is the same. Love is love. This expression, it's actually true as long as we realize what most people who use this expression don't realize. Love doesn't create the relationship or sustain it. Not at all. It's it's the other way around. The relationship, it obligates you to create and sustain love. So in other words, we need to get things the right way around. The relationship requires us to love. And the relationship shapes our love. Real love is always the same, but how we express that love varies according to the type of relationship. So in a marriage, love expresses itself in in a different way to how love expresses itself between friends. And love for your children, that relationship, love is expressed differently to how we express our love for our parents. And love for God expresses itself differently for how we express our love for neighbors. But all love at its heart is the same. I don't think it comes as a surprise to us that the secret ingredients of love is not pina coladas and getting caught in the rain. Love, the ingredients of love, has always been and always will be those things we saw in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, 
Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And it goes on. Last week, we looked at how we're to express this kind of, of love towards God. And this week, we're looking at how we're to express this kind of love towards each other here, towards God's people. What shape should this kind of love take here in our relationships? But first, before we look at that, it's worth quickly thinking about a couple of of quite important questions like why should we love God's people and why should we distinguish between God's people and other people now there are many reasons that we could give in answer but let me just give you a couple to start with John says in 1 John 4 7 dear friends let us love one another he's talking about between Christians here let us love one another For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Here, like last week, we see that love is always in response to God. Our love for other people, it it flows from God's love for us. And so verse 9 goes on, it says, This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. There are two reasons there why we should love God's people here. First, because God's loved us, even when we didn't love Him, and and knowing His love means that we actually need to imitate His love. But second, as we love, God lives among us and He completes His love among us. Part of what's being so, so wonderful or um, what's so wonderful about being saved, is not just what we're saved from. It's what we're saved to. We're saved from death and judgment, but we're saved to love. And that's a wonderful thing. And without love, we actually show that, that God doesn't live among us. Look at verse 20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. If we don't love each other here, then we actually don't love God. Now, I reckon this makes sense when you think about it. If someone claims to love me but then they they hate my children and treat them awfully then they can keep their love because it's not real. It's, it's a joke. It makes sense. And it explains why it's right for us to, to distinguish between how we love believers and how we love unbelievers. A believer is God's own child. 
And so they're our brother or sister for all eternity. We're joined together by Jesus, by a bond that's greater than even blood relations. And so in the Bible, we're called to love all people, but we're called to especially love God's own children, God's people. You see this reflected in things like Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, where Paul writes, As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Do good to all, but especially to God's people. Our mission statement, as we saw last week, it says that we want to be known by our love, overflowing in our church, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our city, in our world. Not a soft, sentimental love, but the same deep, honest, courageous love with which God has loved us in Jesus. And this means that we've got to be known by our love for each other. That's a big part of it. And as the kids, as we saw with the kids just before, it's what Jesus says in John 13. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We've got to be this kind of place. It, it costs to follow Jesus. It can mean giving up all sorts of things. But Jesus says, whatever we lose, we gain a hundred times as much because we gain each other. Instead of having one person looking out for your interests, you, here you gain 200 people. Each one, not looking out for your interests, but something even better, looking out for Jesus' interests, which of course includes looking out for your interests and everyone's interests. I heard someone say this week, I think I've read it, um, they said, our churches need to be safe havens for refugees of the sexual revolution. And that's so true. And of course, we need to be safe havens for everyone seeking refuge from every failed revolution against God. We need to be a safe haven for people, refugees of greed, of alcoholism, of individualism, of careerism and of legalism. This world can inflict some really difficult circumstances on us, things like divorce and loneliness, things like unwanted singleness, same-sex attraction, drug addiction and sickness. And the only way that we can be the, the safe haven that God's called us to be is if we love deeply, honestly and courageously in response to His love. Is that the case here? Is there a depth of love here and in other churches, of course, as well, but we've got to take responsibility for ourselves. Is, is there a depth of love here that's unparalleled in the rest of this world so that nothing else can compare? That's our calling, to love deeper, more honestly, more courageously than any other love that you can find elsewhere because we're fueled by Jesus' love a love which stoops down to service even to the point of serving us by dying on a cross. Our mission statement, it goes on to say, loving God's people at TNE as we welcome, disciple and equip one another 
sharing life together. Now, in some ways, welcoming, discipling and equipping one another, they might sound like strange frontiers on which we need to show our love to one another. And so I'm going to very quickly try and give a bit more shape to what each one of these has got to do with love. So first, we need to be a church that loves God's people by welcoming them. As a minister, I I spend quite a bit of my time around Christians and so you kind of get used to to being around Christians. And then when I go along to soccer events for my kids or uh, kindy events and things like that, sometimes, not every time, but sometimes I'm amazed at how unwelcoming they can be. Sometimes it, it just feels so unloving. And unless you're in the sort of select group that knows each other, you're out in the cold. One of the most basic ways that we can show love to God's people, real love here, is by welcoming each other. And welcoming each other, it's not something that ever stops because it's about having a heart that's open to people. It's about embracing people like God's embraced us. So when someone's new to t we can love them by going out of our way to speak to them. We can love them by introducing them to others or by inviting them along to things like our community group or something like that. And it's a difficult balance because we love them by not overwhelming them, by giving them the space and the freedom, not feeling any pressure. And then just because someone turns out to be from Melbourne doesn't mean that we should, shouldn't welcome them, dump them. You know, love doesn't leave the conversation or see it as a, a dead end. Love welcome them, welcomes them even though we may never see them again. And then if someone's been coming along here for a little while, we still need to welcome them. We can welcome them by opening our lives to them, by going out of our way to invite them to meals, by giving opportunities to create shared history together, by giving them the time that's needed to actually form deeper relationships. When you have someone round for a meal, something that um, someone once uh, told me, and, and it's always been great, if you want to get to know someone on a deeper level, ask them how they became a Christian. It's a great, great, and um, yeah, it can seem a little bit strange the first time you do it, but every time I've ever done it, it's been so encouraging and it's a good way to get to know people. But then even when someone's been here for ages, we still need to welcome each other. We, we still can love each other by welcoming with ongoing hospitality, not entertaining people, but engaging with people opening our hearts and our lives. Welcoming welcoming them means actually giving them the space to be honest, which of course requires us to be honest with them as well. And it means welcoming people as they really are, warts and all, quirks, problems, burdens, and joys and successes. Welcoming means recognizing that the most powerful bond we can have with someone is Jesus. You know, and that bond, it it smashes every other barrier, whether it's age or ethnicity or education. If we only welcome on the basis of shared interests, we're not really loving that other person. We're actually just loving ourselves and our interests. Now, of course, it needs to be said that we all can welcome in different ways. So some people see 200 new people and they think, wow, this is awesome. Some people see one person, new person, and they feel a little bit nervous. That's okay. Some people are great at that initial welcoming and some are just amazing 
at that ongoing kind of opening up their lives. Whoever we are, if we belong to God, we all need to love by having hearts that are open towards other people. And sometimes that means going outside of our comfort zone and stretching our gifts. Well, we also want to be a church that loves each other by discipling God's people. So real love, it it doesn't stay polite and chit-chatty. Real love speaks the truth in love. If we're really going to love people, then we need to build each other up in our walk with Jesus. And this is what we saw in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Do you see that? We all do the work of helping people grow as followers of Jesus. All of us. Motivated by love, every single one of us is to help each other grow in our love for Jesus. Often I reckon we think, who am I to make disciples? You know, I'm, I'm no kind of mentor. Uh, I don't have what it takes to disciple people. But remember that a, a disciple just means a follower of Jesus. And so discipling someone isn't saying, you know, pointing to yourself. Discipling someone is, is just pointing people to Jesus. Now, it's true that we need to be able to say, follow my example as I follow Jesus. But actually, every single believer should be able to say that. And so every single believer should be on about discipling, helping other believers be followers of Jesus. So as a jam leader, if you're a jam leader, what are you doing? Well, you're discipling, you're helping the kids be followers of Jesus. In community groups, what are the leaders doing? Well, they're they're helping the members be disciples. And community group members themselves, what are they doing? The same thing, they're helping each other be followers of Jesus. Love for each other means helping each other love God and love Jesus more and more. The third thing that we want to be a church uh, that loves each other by equipping each other. This is slightly different to discipling. It's a little bit tricky to figure out the difference. But equipping means training each other so that we can serve God and each other well. This is about seeing what we're lacking as a church family and then helping people to step into those gaps out of love. So someone might be following Jesus and and keen to tell other people about Him, but they've got no idea how to go about it. They need to be equipped. And someone else who's actually quite good at that might be able to step in and, and, and equip them, help train them in that. Someone else may not have much of an idea how to be a jam leader or a parent of teenagers or or toddlers in a way that points to Jesus. Or we may have no idea how to be a godly husband or how to connect our our work, our, our faith with our work life or how to disciple people. And as a church, out of love, we need to equip one another so that we can love each other better as we point each other to Jesus. Like last week, I want to finish with just a few observations about loving God's people that I've um, gathered uh, over the years. The first thing I want to say 
is that loving God's people, about loving God's people, is that real love is both spontaneous and structured. It's not one or the other, it's actually both. So we don't want people to slip through the cracks and so we need to have structures in place to make sure that 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 doesn't happen. But also, at the same time, we need to remember structures don't love people, people love people. So take equipping each other, for example. Love probably doesn't look like T&E offering a, a graduate diploma in parenting impossible children. You know, maybe, but probably not. Or T&E offering a certificate three in loving an ungodly brood of a husband. That's, that's, probably, that's a structure. It's probably not going not to help us love one another. More likely, love in this circumstance is spontaneous. It probably looks like someone noticing a need and having a coffee with someone where they spend three quarters of an hour listening and maybe three quarters of a minute giving some godly wisdom. But in other areas, equipping can well make use, can make good use of a structure. So last, no, this year we had how to read the Bible with a friend, a kind of structured course where we thought about how we could do that better. Real love is both spontaneous and structured. At the moment at TNE, there's there's a lot of things that happen spontaneously. And it's actually a beautiful thing. Like, I think I hear about a tenth of the meals that zip behind the scenes, unasked for. Nobody sees them except the person cooking them and the person receiving them. That's spontaneous love. And it's a beautiful thing about TNE. But there are times where as a church, it's good to have a structure as well. At the moment, we've got a meal roster kind of system, which Susie Casterline looks after, and, and that's a structure, which is great. But as church grows, as TNE grows, we actually need to have more and more structures, and we're hoping in time to actually start a freezer full of meals so that when the need is, is there right, right then and there, we can give a meal uh, without having to delay but wouldn't it be awful if we thought that structure would do the loving for us? I'm really hoping that when we get that up and running, that the spontaneous kind of meals will still silently zip around like they have been. At TNE, our main structure to help us uh, love each other is actually our community groups. I don't know if, if, if you knew that, but that's our main structure for love. Now, I know that some of you can't be in community groups and, and there's good reasons. And of course, as a church, we, we still want to try and show love. But our main structure for pastoral care is through community groups. And that's because pastoral care is, is actually more than just practical care. It's not less, but it's more. And community groups are the best place for pastoral care. They're a place where you can get to know just a few others and, and really have that honesty Uh, that's needed and where spontaneous love and structured love can be facilitated. Well, the next thing that I've I've, um, observed over my time about loving God's people is that real love is realistic. Are people all loving each other like Jesus loved us? It sounds amazing, doesn't it? It sounds ideal. But we need to remember the kind of people that Jesus loved. They were the kind of people who drove nails through his hands. When we're called to love each other deeply, we've got to be realistic. It's not easy to do this 
And it actually takes a great deal of generosity. Generosity of time and generosity of attitude. Peter writes about this in, in 1 Peter 4, 8. Oh, I didn't put the verse in. He says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes about Christian community. He says, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest and sacrificial. God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idolized community community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others and by themselves. We've got to be realistic. We'll let each other down at times. I'll let you down if I haven't already. People here will hurt you and you'll hurt other people. I remember one minister I know used to say, watch out, sheep bite from time to time. It's true. But we've got to remember, we're not called to love people in a perfect community yet. We're called to love imperfect people until Jesus returns. The third thing, observation, uh, about loving God's people is that it's more blessed to give than to receive. We might think about giving someone our time or a meal or or helping them move or something like that out of love. I don't know about you, but for me, it often goes like this, that I end up talking myself out of it. You know, as I think about the cost on me as an individual or on the family, I end up thinking, well, they probably don't really need it or they probably don't really want it anyway. But those times when we do actually give of ourselves, they're the times when we discover that Jesus really is right when he says it's more blessed to give than to receive. But I reckon there's a catch. It's only when our giving of ourselves is fueled by Jesus' love that we actually discover this. Because if we, if we give out of a sense of guilt or a need to be appreciated or or liked, then we're actually doing it to receive rather than to give. You know, if I'm doing something out of guilt, what I want to receive is absolution. I want to be absolved from my guilt. And when I do it to be appreciated, what I want to receive is acceptance. I want to feel valued. But when our motivation is to love God by loving others, then we can make the sacrifice freely. And it's then that we discover that we're blessed as we experience sharing in God's love, sharing in Jesus' work. The fourth thing, observation I've I've made over years about loving God's people, is that you have to let people love you back. We don't love people by standing strong on our own and not letting them love us. There's a pride, actually, that, that's got nothing to do with love, that sometimes just refuses to let people love in return. There's actually an old song about this, also from the 70s. It goes like this. Brother, let me be your servant. Let me be as Christ to you. And then it says, pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant too. 
Real love lets other people experience the blessing of, of giving to you. The fifth thing I'd say about um, loving God's people is that what you do as, as the congregation, what you do to love people is usually more effective than what I do as the minister. See, first of all, there's a lot more of you than me and so you can achieve more than just one person. But second, when I show love, it, it means less than when you show love. When you welcome someone by getting their number and, and having a coffee with them that week, that communicates love far more than if I do it. Because when you're doing it, there's no chance whatsoever that you're doing it just because it's your job. Whereas that may well be in the back of someone's mind if I do it. When you ring because you've noticed that someone hasn't been here for a few weeks and, you, and you're concerned about how they're going, maybe they're sick, maybe something's happened, that's far more effective in showing love than when I do it. Did you know that? Because it, it, it shows that you've noticed and, and that you care. Now, when I do it, it's important, but it's nowhere near as powerful as when you do it. It's the same for most things. When you pray for someone, when you visit someone, when you gently challenge someone, it shows that God is powerfully at work amongst us, causing us to love one another. And it's a beautiful thing. The final thing that I've learned about loving God's people that we're going to talk about today at least, is that sharing life together is actually critical for loving one another. You know that, that age-old question, can you be a Christian without going to church? It's a misleading question. The real question is, can you love God's people deeply, honestly, courageously without going to church? The answer is almost certainly not. Deep love means seeing each other regularly. The reason, you know, we say things like bell, be early, leave late, is because it actually helps us to spend time together, share life together. The reason we say, you know, enter these doors up the back here, not thinking what am I going to get out of today, but thinking, who can I serve today? It's because it gets us in the right mind frame to share life together. But even just seeing each other once a week here, even if we're approaching it like that, it's probably not really enough to really share life together, is it? Love is inefficient. It takes a generosity of time. It involves being honest with each other. It always involves a cost, but it's always worth it. Of course, it's not really possible to share life together like this with everyone here, and so we need to just gather people around us where we can really share life. And again, community groups are a great place where that can happen. Like last week, as I uh, was preparing today's sermon, thinking about loving God's people, I found myself so thankful to God for where TNE is at. It's an amazing, welcoming place where people really do love each other. But also, like last week, our mission statement made me realize that we've not arrived yet, have we? I mean, there's still so much work that we need to do. Our mission statement, it's a call to action. It's a call to love each other deeply from our hearts as we welcome and disciple and equip and as we really do share life together. Let me pray and ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your love is so powerful 
that it changes the way that we see you, your world, and the way we see each other. Lord, we thank you that your love has such a powerful impact on our lives that that we want to echo it in how we treat your people. Lord, um, give us, uh, pour your Holy Spirit into our lives because it is just so hard to really love this deeply. It's costly. Lord, and, and we drop the ball and we need to pick it up again and keep on going. Lord, we thank you for the amazing place that T&E is and, and the love that is here. But Lord, we really recognize that we need to keep on loving and Lord, we need to increase in our love. And Lord, from time to time, we let you down and we don't love anywhere near like we should. Lord, we thank you for the example of Christ that no matter what, he still loves us and he calls us on. Help us to follow him as we encourage each other to do the same. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.